What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got the one, the only, Dr. Ken Barry on the line. How are you, man? Hey, Keto Savage. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Little do people know, this podcast is not going to be about anything scientific or medical or anything. It's just going to be about us. Getting that country style, having that accent really coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Two country boys just talking. That's right, man. That's right. So how you been? Bring me up to speed, brother. Man, we've been we've been good. We've been very busy with uh, you know, YouTube, Facebook, got a couple of trips coming up, uh, some collaborations we're working on, but having a great time and, you know, always meeting good, new and useful people and uh making making new friends. What have you guys been up to? Man, pretty much the same thing. Just trying to like, you know, build the business and the, the social platforms. I got to say, man, you are totally killing it on YouTube. Like you make me look like a freaking little peon out there. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with YouTube. Uh, there must be somebody in YouTube headquarters that likes me or something because I literally just get to work in the morning and I'm like, what's pissed me off today? I think I'll make a video about that. And I literally one shot, one take. Post it, no editing, done, and then go go see a bunch of patients. That's that's literally how I do it. So I don't know if it's the the right way to do it. The the realness and the grit, or the lack of production. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but hey, I'll take it. You know, I'm just happy that I'm able to reach so many people and and help people understand their their health and their nutrition. See, yeah, man. I mean, when I first heard you speak at the first conference that we were at together. I don't know, like your just authenticity came through. And I think people uh, can appreciate that in the YouTube, like the whole editing scheme and all kinds of special effects. I mean, that's cool. But I mean, people go to like the movie theaters if they want to say that they go to YouTube for like just real, you know, raw yeah. authenticity. And you, I think shines so. through with you. I think so. And that's what I tried to do from day one is just be me. And if you like me, then let's, let's journey together. And if you don't like me, then go listen to Robert Sykes. <laughs> well, between the two of us, we got something good to say, right? That's it. That's right. And we'll come up with a good Southern colloquialism and some vernacular and they'll be impressed and like, I never heard that before. That's yeah. right, man. That's right. So, so for anybody that does not know you, which I find hard to believe now, but for anybody that does not give us kind of like a, a bio, just kind of like a little introduction to who you are. Okay. So I'm Ken Berry. I'm a board certified family physician. A uh, medical doctor. I've been practicing in a very small town in rural Tennessee called Camden for over 15 years now. And uh, I see patients in the clinic every day. I've done thousands of hours in the emergency department. I've done thousands of hours in labor and delivery, done a lot of different things in medicine. And uh, for the last 15 years, I've been seeing patients at the Berry Clinic on the court square in Camden, Tennessee. And then uh, I started a little YouTube channel. I guess it's been a little over a year now because Nisha Barry, I would come home bitching about this or that or the other thing I'd seen at the clinic or, you know, some authority had said this stupid thing or that stupid thing. And she was like, Hey, why don't you shut up and make a YouTube video? And so the first 50 times she said that I just blew and, you know, went out and, chop down a tree or something. But then one day I'm like, fine, I'll make a YouTube video, see how you like it. And so I did. And then that kind of started. And then I've been putting up anywhere from two to four YouTube videos a week since then. And I've almost got 200 videos on there covering a wide range of all kinds of, you know, family, medical, health, nutrition, um, smoking, exercise, kind of the full gamut of human health and nutrition. When when we were at the Low Carb Cruise, that's the first place where I met you in person, I think. You were giving yeah. a presentation on, um, that was a really, really good presentation. Like, I walked on that, and I was just kind of blown away. Because you talked about some of the, the the miscommunications and the misunderstandings that were in the medical practice, you know, years gone by. And then kind of how that's transcended into today's day and age. And how it's kind of become our responsibility with, you know, social media and the reach that we have to be able to make an impact on a grander scale. So, kind of just... Obviously, don't give that presentation, but just kind of run down like a, a brief synopsis of that because that was just really compelling. Well, there was a time when the only health and nutrition authority we had was the, the 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 town doctor. That was it, right? You didn't have nutritionists, you didn't have specialists, you didn't have a dietitian or a nutritionist. You just had your family doctor, and that's where you got most of your information from about health and nutrition and wellness and prevention. 
And you can pretty much trust him to be state of the art. But starting uh, back in the 70s, 80s, doctors really kind of got sidetracked by by big pharma advertising to them and pushing to them and promising them golf trips and, and this inducement and that inducement if they would prescribe more of this pill or that pill. And big pharmaceutical houses actually started sponsoring medical textbooks and sponsoring medical schools and, and sponsoring like chairmanships of specific departments in medical schools. And medicine really lost its way there. And I think it's about to start turning back around because of, you know, just a, a bunch of doctors just basically getting on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and saying, what the hell is wrong with all you doctors? What are you talking about? And so people really over the last 10, 15 years have really started to, to have to kind of get on the Internet now that we have that. It's such a powerful tool. And say, well, my doctor said this, but I don't know. That doesn't sound right to me. I'm going to do some research. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that if you have access to the Internet, you have access to absolutely every bit of the medical research that your doctor has access to. Not that the average doctor reads a lot of medical research. They don't, at least in my experience, but they could if they wanted to. And so if someone has a, a particular medical condition, they can literally jump on the Internet, read the Wikipedia entry, and then go to a website called PubMed.gov and look up any research study that's ever been done on the face of the planet. Like, and, and many of the research studies, you can read the, the full study from start to finish, from you know five pages to 500 pages long, just depending. And on every study, you can read at least the summary and the conclusion of what that study found. All that stuff is free on PubMed.gov. And so there are a lot of people in this space where I'm, I'm at right now who will do research on a particular topic and they'll make a YouTube video or they'll make they'll write a blog post or they'll do a podcast. And so, you know, in the past, if you had some medical condition that was really weird and rare or that was very, very common. You only had, you know, good housekeeping and Channel 4 and or CBS or ABC and your doctor. That was it. You didn't have any other resources. If you wanted a research study, you had to write to the National Institute of Health and wait six weeks for them to go and find a copy and print a copy and send you a copy. And, and that was just one study. And you had no way of knowing all the studies that were out there. But now if you have access to the internet at home or you can go to your public library and it's free, they'll let you sign on. And you can read the state-of-the-art medical research on any medical topic that's ever had a study published ever. And that's pretty powerful. And I think that at about the same time all that was becoming available, Doctors were really getting off track and, and thinking that, you know, that the only tool they had was that prescription pad and that every single thing that came through the door needed a pill. And so I think we're kind of at a perfect point in history where the patient is almost having to lead the doctor. And it's, it's, it's a very odd period of time, but I think it's going to be ultimately very fruitful and very healthy for people ultimately. But there are people who have been suffering for, for decades because of terrible medical advice that their doctor gave them, and they had no recourse. They had no way to, to verify, to second guess. But now you can jump on the Internet, and, and with two hours of reading on a good website, you can know just as much about your medical condition as your doctor does. So with, with the patients kind of having that as an outlet, you know, being able to go to PubMed and kind of self-diagnose, you know, they have that as an outlet. What, what's going to happen in the medical community? for the doctors, like how are they going to recover or what's their plan of action going to be? Well, I don't think they have one. Most doctors, <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize the politics behind the scenes in medicine. Uh, nurses, they're, you know, they have a great lobby. They stick together. They, you know, they're like, they're very cohesive. They, they take care of each other. And doctors are almost like mountain lions. It's like, I'm going to get on my mountain, you get on your mountain and don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Don't, don't tell me what to do. Don't ask me any questions. And so that hasn't served us very well, but it's actually made us very vulnerable to that, you know, that slick talking, good looking drug rep who came in and acted like they liked us. A lot of docs fall for that. And so I think really you've got two different styles of practicing medicine. Now you've got the old style that says, no, damn it, this is what the guidelines say and that's what we're going to do. And I don't want to, I don't want to see that crap you printed out off the internet. I don't want to hear about it. You either do this. It's either my way or the highway. 
right? And then you've got the second mm-hmm. style of doctor who's actually happy when you bring stuff that you've been researching, right? Because that tells me you're very motivated. You're very interested in your health or you wouldn't have taken the time. You would have just watched reruns of Lost and, and ate some Twinkies and then come to see me and expected me to somehow magically fix it. But I, I'm actually energized and very excited when a patient brings me stuff that they've they've researched and they've printed out. And they're like, I want to ask you about this. And what about this supplement? And what about this new medication? And this looks like this is dangerous to me. What do you think about that? And so if a doctor is willing to stay up to date on his reading and stay on his toes and and ready to interact as a as a learned health partner with his patients, then I think this is a great time to be a doctor. But I would imagine that for the old style doctor, that it's either my way or the highway. It it must be a pretty crappy time to be practicing medicine right now because more and more patients are taking charge of their health and they're just not going to have it. They're like, no, I'm not going to take that statin. I'm not going to take a cholesterol medicine because the research shows. Can you imagine if you're a doctor and you're one of those know-it-all doctors and the patient just basically bluntly told you, no, I'm not going to take that because the research shows it's not it doesn't help me and it's bad. I mean, you're it's like, wow. I've lost every, I've lost it all. I, they don't even respect my medical opinion anymore. And so I think a lot of doctors are either going to retire or change careers, or I think there are going to be a lot of doctors who step up to the challenge and say, yeah, this is a new era in medicine where we've got an educated, alert, aware patient who sees me as a, as a, as a, as a learned partner, but I'm not the medical boss. I'm not their daddy, right? I'm just their partner. It's my job to tell them what I know and, but it's ultimately, it's their health, right? They have to decide, am I going to take this guy's opinion? Am I going to apply what he told me? Or am I going to keep researching? And so it's a very interesting time in medicine. Uh, very A lot of fun for doctors like me. And, and I would imagine very uncomfortable for the other style of doctor. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Like some people have totally like formed a front against doctors, which I don't think is the right way to go either. I mean, doctors are there for a reason. I've got a lot of respect for doctors, you know, if the intentions are good and solid, you know, like doctors like yourself. What what are, I don't know if it was you or Ted Naiman at the, the Low Carb Cruise that was talking kind of about how the compensation structure around doctors goes as it pertains to whether they write a script or not, um, and kind of like the time spent with the patient. Can you kind of like yeah. pull the veil back on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So, if I have a uh, an established patient, say you're my you've been my patient, Robert, for a few years, and you come to see me and you've got high blood pressure, and if I say, oh, okay, Robert, here here's what you're going to do, you're going to cut down on the carbs because we, we want to get your insulin level down, and that's going to help you get rid of the inflammation, get rid of the extra fluid, and then the blood pressure will probably come down. Here's a, a little notebook. I want you to keep up with your blood pressure readings, and I want you to eat keto for for three months, and then come back and see me. I can bill a level two for that. But if I did all of that stuff and said, oh, and I'm going to write your prescription for this blood pressure medicine, then I can bill a level three. That makes it a more complex visit. That's just the way it's structured uh, reimbursement wise. And so what's the what's the time difference? Like there's, 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 there's like literally one second. 15. Like it, it literally makes no difference. That's considered both of those are considered a 15 minute visit. And so you can bill medical visits by time or you can bill them by complexity. And so when you write a prescription, that immediately bumps up the complexity of the visit. But it, but you see, I guess, so I'm going to get paid probably $20 more for a, for a three level than for a two level, 20 or 30 bucks more. But I didn't help you. My whole point is to heal you, right? My whole point is to make you healthier. My, the whole point of my existence is to improve your health, right? That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what I'm there for. And so did I do that by like literally I could write you that prescription and the visit could be over in 90 seconds or I could counsel with you for 15 minutes and I would get paid the same. Actually, I would get paid less if I didn't write you a prescription unless I counseled you for 15 solid minutes. And then but you see, the doctors make money, the more patients they see. And so if I can write you a script and have you out the door in 90 seconds. Then the average doctor, being just a just a guy, he's just a human like all the rest of us, right? He's going to do that because he's got bills to pay. He's got, you know, he's got a car payment. His kids want to go to college. He got he's got to make that money just like all the rest of us, right? And so the average doctor is not going to sit and counsel you to stop eating Twinkies and to get up off the couch. That he's not going to take the time. He's just going to write you that script because he gets to bill 
a higher complexity level visit in a, with, with not spending nearly as much time with you. And so as long as the reimbursement schedule is set up like that, the average doctor who's just a, just a regular guy, he's going to take that shortcut, right? It's just what, human what nature. Is the, like, how did that even come into place? Like, has that, <laughs> that protocol been around forever? Like, I'm bringing oh, yeah. up just feeling like the history yeah, of medical yeah. practice so here. It's been around forever. So really what happened was back in the 70s, I think, uh, when Nixon was president, they passed a temporary law that, that you, they, they had a wage freeze on workers in the U.S. I don't know if it was inflation. I don't know all the details. I just know that, that like if you worked for Monsanto or whoever, they couldn't just give you a raise for a while there. There was a wage hike freeze. And so they had to figure out some way to compensate their employees. And they're like, well, hey, we'll just start paying their medical bills. We'll have medical insurance, right? So really, medical insurance came about for the just everybody like it is now because of a federal government intervention into the free market. So that's kind of messed up to start with, because anytime the, the government messes with the free market, it tends to make it worse, not better. Most people know that's that's right. kind of a rule of economics. And so that's how it started. Then they had to figure out, well, how are we going to pay doctors? I mean, if, if the patient's just there for two minutes and he doesn't do anything, we don't want to pay him as much as if he spends, you know, 20 minutes with the patient and writes him five prescriptions and orders an x-ray. He ought to get paid more. And so. Then, you know, there are, you know how people are. Some people like me and you just want to get stuff done. And other people love to bean count and make lists and forms and measure stuff. And so they had all the bean counters in Washington. And so they sat down and they made up this billing thing called the CPT codes. And that's basically thousands upon thousands of codes for every different procedure that a doctor can do, including a very limited office visit, a, a moderate office visit, a complex, a very complex and a highly complex. There's five different levels of office visits. And that's that those are just five of the thousands of codes that the American Medical Association, in conjunction with the federal government, came up with so that doctors could build the insurance companies that started offering health insurance because of a federal government intervention into the free market back in the 70s. Uh, that that sounds really simple and and right. It's just like what? No, no, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. Man. Like it's like crazy that thing, it's yeah. Like the, the whole thing is built on just a, a house of cards. It's all silly to begin with, but now that's where we are. And so you can't just stop that. You know, that's like you can't turn around that big boat we were on on the on the low carb cruise. It takes a minute to turn that boat around, and that's where modern medicine is right now. They everybody on the boat knows this is stupid. Everything we're doing is stupid. We're not helping people. There's obesity epidemic. There's a di diabetes epidemic. There's kidney failure, liver failure. Everything's at epidemic levels. And we're doctors are almost powerless to do anything about it. And if a doctor steps out of the box enough to actually help his patients, then he risks getting in trouble with his state medical board. And so it's just a mess. It's really a mess right now. And I don't blame a lot of patients for just saying to hell with it. And just, you know, going <clears throat> to their chiropractor or going to a naturopath or going to a herbalist or something. Because sometimes doctors say what, the dumbest things, man. What kind of like rules and regulations are you bound to on the state medical board? Like what kind of free range do you have or do you have much at all? Well, you've got a lot until you don't. And what I mean by that is, is you can do a lot of things. It's not like the medical board is constantly watching. you. But if they get a, a report or a complaint if another doctor says, hey, you know, Barry's not practicing standard of care, or if a patient says, hey, this doctor did this to me, then they're going to come and investigate that, right? And when they, it's kind of like opening the can of worms. It's kind of like when the state trooper pulls you over. If he wants to give you a ticket, you're going to get a ticket, whether you did anything wrong or not, right? And so most of the time, they're not going to come. They're going to find something. That's just the nature of that kind of investigation. And so... Yeah, doctors don't want to, they don't want the, the state medical board investigator there, obviously. And so most doctors are very risk averse about that sort of thing. So they're not going to take any chances. And so there's this thing called standard of care. And every doctor knows about this. And some of it's written down and some of it's unspoken. Like if every doctor in my, in a 50 mile radius of me writes a patient Zocor, Crestor, Lipitor, a statin drug for high cholesterol, right? If they all do that and I don't, then even though I can show them research and proof all day long, I'm not upholding the community standard of care. And that's a violation. They can actually 
cite me, find me, put, reprimand me, put me on probation or take my medical license away just because I'm not upholding the community standard of care, even if this community standard of care is stupid. And that's that's literally the way it's set up right now. And I'm sure that that made sense at one time in our in our history, but I don't really think it makes sense anymore with as fast as things are changing in the medical landscape. So like when a when a patient comes to you with high cholesterol, for instance, and they're you know talking about keto, maybe they've done some research and they're saying, you know, I, I don't think a statin is the direction I want to go. If you like, do you not prescribe that statin, or like what what, what position are you in there? No, I mean if if they're like, I don't want a statin, I, and so I'm like. Good. I'm glad. I want you to fix this. I want you to actually fix the underlying problem. So then you're healthier. That's the whole point of my job is to make my patients healthier, to make my patients less sick. That's what I'm for. Otherwise, why do I exist? I'm not a pill pusher. I'm not I'm not just a guy who's going to let you leave my office with a handful of pills. That's not my job. My job is to help you be healthier. And so giving somebody a, a statin for their high cholesterol doesn't make them healthier in any way. Doesn't make them happier. Doesn't make them feel better. It doesn't decrease their risk of heart attack and stroke. That's been shown multiple times in huge studies. But yet many doctors and a lot of doctors know that, but they're still going to write that statin because they're afraid that if they don't. And so here's the thing. Here's the bind that doctors are in. So I see you, Sykes, and, and you got high cholesterol and I don't write you a statin, right? I say, hey, eat keto. Don't worry about that. Just worry about your HDL and your triglycerides. And then a month from then, you are, are doing cocaine and you have a heart attack and die, right? Got it? Your family mm -hmm. can sue me for malpractice and probably win because you had high cholesterol. I didn't put you on a statin and you had a heart attack and died. And I'll probably, I'll probably lose my medical license too, even though you had a heart attack because you were smoking crack. See my point? That's and crazy, so, man. Right. Like and you're so lose, lose <laughs> that's right. You either lose or you lose. And so you have to you have to hurt your patient gradually with the statin, or you have to take a chance that something terrible happens and then you get jacked up yourself by the medical board and by, you know, an attorney who says, Hey, I've seen the medical chart here. His his total cholesterol was two oh one and you didn't prescribe him a statin, and that's why he died. And we we want we want five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and so doctors are kind of caught in in these binds where there's really not a comfortable answer. Because if you buck the system and do what's really right for the patient, you could lose your career. But if you just cower down and write the statin, you're not helping anybody. You're part of the problem at that point. You see what I'm saying? And so, so many doctors are just like, dude, this sucks. And, and so there are a lot of doctors right now who are miserable in their medical practice because that's their choice. Every day they go to work, it's either you're going to make your patient slowly sicker or you're going to take a chance of losing your career if you actually try to help them become healthier in the proper way. So, I mean, what, what do you do, man? You just like, like you're putting all this content out on, you, you know, YouTube, social media. So you're definitely stating your opinion there. Do you just kind of follow your heart? And if you get yeah. booted off the medical board, then yeah. that's just yeah, how yeah. it is. And, uh, I'm kind of like you, you know, I'm from a place where you, you either put out or get out. You you either produce or you go home. You either you know what I'm saying? You either play or give me the ball, let me play. And so I'm not about to just sit on my my little doctor stool and write medicines for the next 40 years and look up and I'm ready to retire and I really haven't helped anybody be healthier. That's not why I'm at the medical school. And so also a lot of doctors forget about that oath that they took. I actually meant that when I took that oath. And I don't care I don't care about the, the repercussions of doing what I think is the right thing. If I feel like I'm doing the right thing for my patient, then let the medical board come. And you remember I said that on the cruise in Fort Nisha, I thought she was going to shrivel up and crawl under a table. <laughs> but I, I, I mean it. I mean, if you want to make me the American Tim Noakes or the American Gary Fetke, then let's go. That would be a, that would be, I think that would be great fun. And I think we could actually fix the problems in medicine a lot faster if they would try to pick on a doctor like me. It doesn't have to be me, anybody who's doing what I'm doing. If they thought, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna show him, we're gonna we're gonna bust him down and, and we're gonna find him and put him on probation. I, I think that that would probably be the beginning of the end for for the current problems that we have in big medicine and big pharma. I love it, man. I think I think your heart's in the right spot, man. You're you're cool as dude for sure. <laughs>
Well, thank, I'll, I'll say that on the air. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What, what, uh, j- just kind of uh, recap. What, what happened with the whole Tim Noak situation for anybody that did not know, or just kind of get like the, a brief overview of them. So, uh, Noakes is from uh, Australia, right? And Fecky's from South Africa, or maybe vice versa. I think Noakes is from South Africa. I can never remember. But basically, he was a, he was a surgeon, and he got paid to to chop off legs that were, you know, diabetics who had terrible diabetes control. And he got paid to do surgery on these people. And basically, he was saying, hey, you know, if you'll just stop eating all the carbs, your diabetes will get better, and then you can probably save your leg. And a, nu- a nutritionist reported him and said he's, he doesn't have any kind of credentials to be giving nutrition advice. He just needs to chop off legs. And so this doctor was literally trying to save patients' limbs. And when a patient loses a limb like that to surgery, like their, their, their chance of being dead within five years is like 80%. It's terrible. Like when that, that is the, literally the beginning of the end for a diabetic patient. When they lose a toe or lose a leg, I mean, that you just, they don't live for much longer because that just sets into motion a cascade of medical events that you just don't recover from. Plus, their diabetes is so awfully controlled that they lost part of their body because of the terrible control of their diabetes. And so this guy was actually trying to say, you know, I don't want to cut your leg off, even though that's my job. I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I want you to eat better. I want you to stop eating all these carbs and then your blood sugar will come down and then you can maybe keep your leg. And he got in trouble for that. And, you know, we can just talk about this on this podcast and go, what the hell? Are you kidding? Yeah. That really happened? Yep, that really happened. And it took him years to fight this. And he won. And then his medical board appealed and he had to fight it again. And then he won again. And so now I think they're probably going to leave him alone. But I mean, it's cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight this. And if other people like us hadn't jumped on board and, you know, chipped him a five or a 10 every now and then to kind of help him, he would have been bankrupt and he would he would have lost because he couldn't he couldn't afford his attorney to fight. And so that's kind of what doctors are up against. We're up against this huge behemoth that if it decides to come down on us, we're going to get crushed. That's just how it's going to be. And so that makes most doctors afraid to fight. But uh, Noakes and Fecky and then recently Sean Baker, the orthopedic surgeon in the U.S., he kind of had a similar deal where he wasn't chopping off enough legs to keep everybody happy and, and kind of got in trouble there for me. And so that that really that's happens. Great in modern medicine and a lot of people don't hear that backstory and they don't understand what's going on but this guy was trying to save people's limbs by just telling them to eat better and got in trouble for it and and you know his medical career has been on hold for i don't know five or seven years however long he's been fighting it and could have been over if he hadn't won his medical career could have been over if he had lost because he was trying to save people's feet and legs and toes and that's a true story. And that happens every day in medicine. And that's what doctors are afraid of. They don't want to be that guy. They don't want to be the, the guy that gets, you know, is made the example of for everybody else. And so they just hunker down and they take it and they do what they got to do to get by. And it's not a, it's not something to be proud of. It's not a pretty thing. And I'm just I'm not cut out of that cloth. I can't do that. I've got to do what I think is right. Though the heavens may fall is the quote is right. Uh, you, you get I mean, you're doing it the right way, man. I mean, it's it's. It's because of people like you and others that, that this is even making waves in a positive direction in the first place, man. So I appreciate you standing out against the, you know, the, the, the norms. Well, it's not always fun, but I think it's always worthwhile. What, what made you even like get into this space in the first place, man, as far as like keto? Like, what was the transition into doing that? Like what, what research or evidence that you found compelled you to kind of go that direction in the first place? Well, after I just started my medical practice in my early to mid thirties, I was very busy working, building the practice and I started getting fat. And so I, you know, like I said earlier, I'm from the, I'm from the kind of place where you put out or get out. You, you don't talk, talk to talk, you walk the walk, right? That's how I was raised. And so I could not spend 40 years being the fat doctor walking into rooms with patients saying, Hey, you need to lose some weight. And them looking at me like, dude, your water's about to break. What are you talking about? Right. I couldn't be that guy. I had to lead by example because that's just how I do it. 
And so I thought, I'm like, well, I got to fix this. And so I tried everything that I'd been telling my patients, right? For the first three years of my practice, I was an idiot. I, I told people to eat the American Diabetic Association diet, eat lots of whole grains, join Weight Watchers, join the gym. You'll lose weight that way. And, and literally believed that every one of my patients was non-compliant because they all kept getting fatter and sicker. And I thought, well, they're just not doing what I'm telling them, right? Turns out when I started doing what I was telling them to do because I was starting to get fat, I was, I was pushing 300 pounds at one point. Wow. I, it didn't work for me. And so I could accuse them of being non-compliant because I don't live in their skin, right? But I couldn't accuse myself of being non-compliant because I live with me. I know what I did. I know that I ate the heck out of some whole grains and I cut out all saturated fat and was eating skinless chicken breast and drinking skim milk all the time and was gaining weight by the week. And so I'm like, what the hell, man? Really? This doesn't work? No wonder everybody's getting fatter and sicker. And so that's when I started looking kind of outside the box, so to speak. Well, I got to figure out, I can't be a fat doctor. I don't care what I have to do. I got to fix this. And so I found a book by Robert Atkins, the, the Atkins Diet Revolution. I found a book by Mark Sisson, The Primal Blueprint. And I found a book by Lauren Cordain, The Paleo Diet. And so I read all three of those and I was like, wow. That's exactly backwards from everything I've ever been taught, you know, in med school about nutrition, which wasn't much to start with. And I thought, well, I'll give that a shot, see what that does. And so immediately my markers of inflammation and diabetes started to go down. I started to lose weight. I started to feel better. And so I just kept researching. And basically when you do that, it's just a natural progression from Adkins to, to paleo, to primal, to ancestral to keto. That, that's just where it, that because keto is the answer, in my opinion. That is the way human beings are supposed to eat. And so when you start down that road, and some people get the keto from the vegan route. That's why I want everybody to be always respectful to the vegan, because they're just looking. They're just searching just like we are. They know that the standard American diet is stupid, and they're right about that. It is. But they didn't come at it from the paleo. They came at it from the vegan. But I just saw two new patients today who come to see me from across the state over from Chattanooga and they were vegans for seven or eight years, lost a bunch of weight on vegan. And, but this, this, they were tired all the time. They didn't feel good. Their skin was terrible. So they kept looking and kept searching and they found, Oh, we can do vegetarian keto. So they did that for a while. They added some eggs, added some fish and now they're full blown keto. They feel great. He's he, he didn't have seizures anymore. Her MS is in remission all because they're on keto, but they came from the vegan path. And so we're all looking because we're not getting any answers from the doctors and the nutritionists and the dietitians that make any sense. You know, when you go to the hospital because your diabetes is uncontrolled and they give you oatmeal and orange juice for breakfast, they obviously don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, that's pretty clear. Right. And so then you start looking. And so I don't blame people for thinking, well, vegans all natural, right? It makes sense. Let's try it. So I think we're all on that journey looking for the, the perfect diet for us. And looking for the perfect lifestyle, the should I work out every day, should I not, you know, all that stuff. That, I think it's good that people are looking and searching and reading and watching YouTube videos. That's way better than people just blindly taking the advice of their doctor and their nutritionist and getting fatter and sicker. No, I totally agree, man. Like taking taking your health into your own hands. Yes. And, I mean, nobody's going to care as much about your health as you are. I mean, no, nobody should anyway. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you take the, the advice of an ignorant doctor, like I used to be back in 2003, if you took my ignorant advice back then and you became a type 2 diabetic and, and a worse diabetic and then I, then I put you on insulin and you wound up losing a leg and, and having kidney failure, you're screwed. And you're screwed because mm -hmm. you blindly took my advice. And I thought I was right. I mean, I was I was preaching with all the medical journals and everything I'd learned in med school. I was preaching all that stuff, but I was wrong. And so trust your doctor. Love your doctor. Your doctor is a, is a, is a learned health partner, but he is not your medical daddy. He's not the boss. If that's the way your doctor wants to run the relationship, that's probably not healthy for you in the long term. You want a doctor you can talk to and say, hey, I saw this on the Internet. Hey, what do you think about this? And if, if a doctor doesn't know, he needs to say, oh, I don't know. Let me I'll, I'll Google it tonight. We'll talk about it next time. That's a sign of a good doctor. But if your doctor's like, no, nah, I don't want to hear any of that crap. Shut up. Here's a prescription. I'll see you in six months. 
that's that's there's nothing therapeutic about that. There's nothing healing about that. There's nothing healthy about that. That's an unhealthy relationship and you should probably look for a new doctor. Right. I totally agree, man. Totally agree. What you mentioned that uh, there wasn't much learned in in medical school from a nutritional standpoint. What is the the protocol for like what what is that curriculum look like for doctors? Well, I think it's different at different medical schools. Some medical schools I don't think touch on nutrition at all. At least that's what I've heard. At the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, that's where I went to med school, we had a half of a semester. So in one semester's time, half of that semester for like two hours a week was behavioral science. And then the other half of the semester, it was nutrition. And so we had a paperback book that was probably 175 pages. And we had the notes we took in class and then that half semesters, and it wasn't even like every day of the week. It was maybe every Tuesday and Thursday for an hour. We had nutrition for half a semester. And that was literally the entirety of my nutrition education at UT Medical School. And I think that's the way it is at most state medical schools. You get a, you get almost like a, a hat tip to nutrition, like, oh, yeah, and then there's nutrition, you know. And so I could to sum up everything I was taught in med school about nutrition eat lots of whole grains, uh, eat very low saturated fat, and jog. That That's literally everything we were taught about nutrition in medical school. And the only time keto is ever even mentioned in medical school pretty much is is when they're talking about ke- uh, ketoacidosis, right? Right. And that's why so many doctors and, and other healthcare providers are afraid of it because they've never heard of therapeutic ketosis. And like the, the therapeutic ketogenic diet that's been used since the 1920s for seizure patients. The average doctor's never heard of that therapy. I hadn't heard of it until a few years ago when I really started researching keto. I was like, oh, cool. Look at this. They've been doing this since the the 1920s for seizures. I didn't know that. Most docs have no idea. When you say keto, then the the end of that is acidosis, ketoacidosis. That's all they think about because type one diabetics, if their blood sugar is very high and they don't have enough insulin, they can get this very serious complication of type 1 diabetes called ketoacidosis. And that'll wind you up in the intensive care unit on all kinds of drips and maybe even in a coma for a few days. And all doctors in our training, we took care of young people and old people as part of our training. We've seen a newly diagnosed type 1 diabetic come in with a blood sugar of 800 and go to the, the intensive care unit for three or four days in ketoacidosis. And it's a real thing. But Unless you have blood sugar far above 200 and almost no insulin in your body, it's impossible to have ketoacidosis. It's literally impossible. Right. Like you can't eat enough bacon to make yourself have ketoacidosis. It just doesn't work that way. It's, that's not how it works. But the average doctor's never heard of any of this stuff we're talking about. So all they hear is keto and they think, oh, that can't be good. Everything I've ever heard with the prefix keto was always bad. So it must be bad. Does that make sense? It'd be like if my daughter brought yeah. home this this guy and she said, hey, dad, I'm here's my new boyfriend. His name's Ted. And I would be like, what the hell? Get him out of here. And, she, and so I run, the guy, I run the guy off, right? And she's like, what the hell, dad? Why'd you do that? And I'm like, well, his name's Ted, like Ted Bundy, right? I, I didn't want you dating a guy like that. And so just because his name's Ted, he must be a serial killer. That's exactly the logic that doctors use when they hear the prefix keto and think, oh, immediately, oh, ketoacidosis. There's no difference in those two stories. Those are, that's the same story, but just the names change. Wow, man. I, it, it's crazy. Like that. Do you see, you said that you don't see very many doctors in this current day and age leveraging the new research coming out. Like they, it's just kind of more of an afterthought. Oh, no, because the, the new research coming out flies directly in the face of all the old research. And, and all the old research is what we were all trained under, right? And so many doctors look up to the professors that train them almost as father figures. I mean, we really have that, that utmost respect and reverence for them, right? Because we were just young punks and they taught us to be doctors. And so it's really hard. It's almost like finding out that your dad was some terrible thing and you thought he was always a great guy and you loved him. And then you find out, no, he was actually worthless. Everything he thought you was crap. And you're like, oh, OK, that's great. And so it, it actually it's, it's actually a deeply psychological thing to go through this process of going, wow, everything I was taught about nutrition was just 
crap. It was it's ignorant. None of it's right. Wow. And every all of those professors who I looked up to and just, you know, almost worship, they believe that crap. And they probably still do if they're still alive. And so I'm about to go against everybody who taught me and everything I was taught in order to do what I think is right. And so it's it, it you can you can imagine that's kind of an uncomfortable place. And a lot of doctors don't like to be uncomfortable. And so it, it just doesn't happen. But that's the problem is all this new research that's coming out that shows, you know, showing that that saturated fat's good for you. It's not bad that that whole grains are probably not good for most people. I mean, all that is exactly backwards to everything we were taught. And it's it's really hard for a lot of doctors to admit they were wrong. And a lot of them. Spend so it just, their, is it just going to take like two generations for everything to kind of cycle through and kind of like clean the palate, basically? Yeah. And that's, the, you know, that's kind of the way it's always been. But I don't think it's going to be that way this time, Robert, because I think we've got the Internet now. If we were back in the 1970s, we would literally have to wait for all the old guys to either retire or die for the new ideas to take hold. That's the way it's always been in ap- academic medicine and everything else, economics and everything. You could, The old guys had, you know, their theories had become popular. That's why he's the chairman of the department now. You had to wait for him to retire or for him to die before a new idea could have any hope of succeeding. But I think that we've got a workaround now. I don't think we have to wait those two generations because we got the internet and we got people like you and people like me every day speaking out and waking people up and raising awareness. And so I think that we're going to really shorten the time it takes for the paradigm to shift. And I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to shift the paradigm, the way of thinking. And that's a, that's hard for people to say, okay, everything I thought I knew was wrong. So I, now I got to learn all this new stuff. That's not comfortable for most people. They don't want to do that. But I think now that we've yeah, got no, the I, internet I, I and everybody agree. can see, I mean, you can read, you can watch a couple of podcasts by Ben Bickman, and Dave Feldman, and listen to a podcast by Keto Savage and Jimmy Moore. And it doesn't take many hours of you listening and reading and watching to you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And now, you know, and then when you go back to your doctor, when you start talking about this stuff, you're going to make him very uncomfortable. And the first person that goes to him and says that, he's just going to think they're a kook, right? But what about the 10th guy that comes in talking about keto? He's going to be like, what is there, some kind of cult in town? What is this keto crap, right? But what is he going to do when the 100th person comes in saying, Doc, I want to do keto. I don't want to take the statin anymore. At some point, at some number, whether it's 10 patients, 50 patients, 500 patients, that doctor's going to say, what the hell? And he's going to go home and he's going to Google keto and he's going to start reading and he's going to watch a podcast, listen to a podcast and watch a YouTube video. Then he's going to know. And then you just change the way he practices medicine for the rest of his career. That's what I predict is going to happen with this go round. I don't think it's going to take two generations for all the old guys to die off before the new idea wins, because I think we've got all kinds of shortcuts now with the internet that we can educate patients and we can educate doctors as well. I certainly hope so, man. That's what I'm banking on for Me sure. Me too. Tell, tell me about uh, panda massage meat, man. <laughs> that's uh, that's a little uh, saying that I came up with mid mid uh, speech. I think maybe the the first time I said it was on the cruise. And so, you know, yeah. you see a lot in the paleo keto space, like, oh, you want to eat the best quality meat you can find. You want organic, grass fed, grass finished, you know, and for you know how it is. You live in Arkansas and I'm in Tennessee. I'm surrounded by poor people. And, you know, they're lucky if they're not the ones eating the grass, much less buying mm-hmm. grass fed, grass finished beef. And so I was kind of trying to make fun of that concept, you know, and so I just said something like, you know, if you can't afford grass-fed, grass-finished, panda-massaged beef that was raised in the mountains, you know, the Himalayan mountains, that's okay. You can still do keto. And in one of my YouTube videos, I say you can do keto on hot dogs and mustard if that's all you can afford because that's still a thousand times better than that family-sized bag of Cheetos. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the the highest quality grain-fed or grain-based, you know, meal is is still worse than the lowest quality keto meal. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's what I'm trying to get everybody to understand. If you can't afford that stuff from Sprouts or Whole Mart, Whole Foods, it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to 
you know, mortgage one of the children in order to go to Whole Foods and buy some grass finished beef. You don't have to do that. You can buy just regular beef at China Mart and it's going to that's still a thousand times better than eating that whole grain, whatever pasta. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm gonna come to Tennessee. I've, I've been thinking about this. I'm gonna come to Tennessee. I'm gonna I'm gonna meet up with you. I want to get all my blood panel done through you, man. I'm doing this six thousand calorie experiment right now, and I want to get all my markers. Oh yeah, and I'm gonna yeah. go to you if I can. Absolutely, man. Come and we'll check all your labs, and then you'll have a good baseline at this age. And and so you're eating six thousand calories a day. And so I yeah, right now I am. So yeah, you're probably started a week ago. What are you gaining? Three three pounds a week because that, the calorie in calorie out model says you should be gaining about two or three pounds a week. Is that what you're doing? I've actually kind of leveled out like at 185. I've been 185 for a while now. Well, that's impossible because you're eating more calories than you're burning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> that's that's impossible, Robert Sykes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love, I love, I love doing things that I, that people tell me are impossible. <laughs> me, same. I'm the same way. I love doing the impossible. And so obviously I'm being sarcastic. The The calories in, calories out model is one of those old things that the old guards still believe in. They think if you burn more calories than you eat, you will lose weight, that it's the first law of thermodynamics. And that's ridiculous. The first law of thermodynamics is definitely a law. You cannot break that law. But they're misinterpreting, they're misapplying the law to the human body because the human body is not a campfire or a house fire. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't digest our food by burning it up in a little oven. We biochemically digest our food with chemicals and, and with, with chemical reactions and enzymes. And so that has nothing to do with the first law of thermodynamics. Ultimately, we do honor the first law but not the way most people think. The way they try to apply that law to the human digestive system is very sophomoric. And it it doesn't make sense when you think about the big picture. But so many people think, oh, you just have to eat more calories than you burn and you'll gain weight. That's it, the the end. But you're obviously proving that not to be true on a daily basis. Yeah, I get really sick of seeing things dealt in absolutes, man. No matter whether it's, you know, training protocol or nutrition protocol, anything dealt in absolutes, it's just a very narrow-minded view of thinking. I mean, like, calories matter, yes, but so do hormones, genetics, you right. know, environmental factors, like everything matters. Like, your body's a symbiotic unit, and everything has an impact. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Very cool, man. Well, what I know you, I know you got a lot going on. What, what's the next thing that you're excited about, man? Like, what are, what are you working on now that, that excites you? Well, what's, the, what's on the forefront? I've got a ton of YouTube videos that I'm in the process of making, and, I, and I'd, I'd like to put out two new ones a day. But they tell me the algorithm doesn't like that. So I'm trying to I'm trying to put out three new YouTube videos a week. And I've, I just signed a two book deal with Victory Belt Publishing. They're going to uh, publish a second edition updated of Lies My Doctor Told Me. And it's going to have three or four extra chapters and all kinds of extra bells and whistles that it didn't have the first time because I self-published it. And then I'm working on a second book uh, called Hacking Type 2 Diabetes with the ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting. And so basically, uh, if I have my way about it, we're going to break the back of the diabetic epidemic that we're currently suffering from in the U.S. You know, right now, over half the U.S. population either has diabetes or pre-diabetes. Like that's the new normal is to be a diabetic or pre-diabetic. Did you it's know, insane, man. Did like I look that? at some Can of the trends. Yeah. I think you said that on the cruise and it just blew my mind. But yeah. like the fact that the majority of the population is either diabetic, overweight, or divorced. I mean, those three <laughs> statistics just blow my mind. Right? Yeah. And so I maybe can understand the divorce thing, but not the pre-diabetes thing. I mean, we we know how to fix that. And it doesn't involve a prescription pad. It doesn't involve an injection. It doesn't involve a pill. It involves fixing your diet. And so that's what the second book's going to be about. So I'm really gearing up. I'm going to be super busy working, working on redoing the first book and then getting the second book out there to try to break the back of this diabetes epidemic that we have in the Western world. Cause I'm sick of, I'm sick of 12 year old children having type two diabetes and I'm sick of people having their legs cut off and I'm sick of people being on dialysis. I'm sick of that. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. You, you said one thing on the cruise that really stood out. Like you, you were talking about the trends and kind of the, the norms and what is the current norm in our society? And you said your entire goal as a doctor is to just see that trend, you know, move down. Right. Like have a downward tick. Absolutely. Once, that's you right. know, because like right. that would be, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, how, how, how fulfilling could that be? Like as a doctor to have an impact on that? I mean, that's, can't put a price on that. Exactly. But isn't that my job? I, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be impressive that that's my goal. That should be every doctor's goal. It's weird that it's not every doctor's goal to be, to be breaking the back of the diabetes epidemic curve. Like every doctor, that should be all they think about and study about because we are now sicker than we have ever been in our existence on this planet. And if, and if you're any kind of a doctor, that ought to piss you off. And you ought to be looking for a way to, to fix that. And that's what I'm doing. You know, it's it's pretty cool, man. I really respect the way you're going about it because most doctors, like my dad's a professor. He's, he's a doctor of science. He's not, not a medical doctor. But a lot of, you know, doctors, they, they, they think very old school with regards to media um, and, you know, influencing. And for me, you know, I'm not a doctor, obviously. I'm, I'm a, a social media influencer, influencer marketer, business owner, you know, nutrition, like bodybuilder. Um, so like for me doing YouTube and like seeing the impact that that's made, like the podcast and the Instagram and whatnot, but to see you as a doctor who's come up, you know, through the traditional thought process and, and just totally, you know, smacking that in the face and turning your back to it and then doing what you're doing now with like the media and impacting people on a much broader scale. Like I really, really respect that man, like more than you realize. Well, I appreciate that very much. And I, I can promise you that I'll never stop regardless of what gets in my way. I don't doubt it, man. You got the right outlook for sure. For sure. Well, Dr. Ken Berry, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Well, you can check out my YouTube channel. If you just search Dr. Berry on YouTube, I think I'll pop up pretty close to the top. And then on Facebook, I, I have a page. I do a lot of work. Again, I think searching Dr. Berry will get me. And I've got a website and a Twitter and an Instagram and all that stuff. If, if that's your thing, I'm on there too. And then uh, I have the book currently for sale on Amazon. It's a paperback or a Kindle, and it's called Lies My Doctor Told Me. And uh, so now you can get the first edition, which will soon be a collector's item because there will be a second edition out soon, and the first edition will be off the market. Awesome, awesome. Well, Dr. Berry, again, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate the time, man, and I will be in touch because I ain't lying, man. I'll come up to Tennessee and I'll get that the blood panel done and we'll catch up and face-to-face. Hey, come see me, brother. We'll do it Tennessee style. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Take care, buddy. All right, later.